0: Welcome to At The Intersection. I'm Marion.
1: And I'm Brian. And this is a podcast about policy, culture, identity, and how all of those things intersect.
0: Yeah. And today we are going to be talking about gerrymandering, voting rights, the whole like voting palooza that's going on right now yeah. in the Supreme Court, in numerous states across the country. Um, yeah, it should be a good, happy, just like light, fluffy <laughs> conversation.
1: And so like, in the, and also this is our... You know, first episode back from our sabbatical.
0: Oh, yeah. We have been on an unscheduled, unannounced hiatus <laughs> <dienis laughs> for the last couple of months. So thank you for bearing with us. Thank yeah. you for, you know, staying with us through yeah. all of that. And, yeah, we're excited to get back into... We're kind of rusty. We're excited to get back into conversation. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to... I don't know if I'm supposed to talk to them. I actually so. don't know who this person is <laughs> that I'm sitting next to, but we are figuring it out. this podcast called again? <laughs> So, yeah. Wish us luck and... Let's get into it.
1: So maybe let's start off with just a definition of what we're going to talk about gerrymandering a lot. Mm -hmm. So I want to define gerrymandering. Um, The technical definition uh, is manipulating the boundaries um, of an electoral of an electoral constituency in a way that favors one party or class. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, kind of we know it as drawing lines, drawing voting lines in a way that, again, favors um, a certain outcome, whether it be race, class or party. So uh, really more recently, at least in North Carolina, um, it has national implications Um, the case north carolina v covington um, which was filed in 2015 Mm -hmm. Um, and so it came as a result of a 2011 map that was drawn by the north carolina state legislator after they legislative body after they flipped red Um, and it was done so in a way that um, was racially gerrymandered so Mm -hmm. it was a pretty straightforward case Um, it violated the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment Um, and it said you know the ruling said you can't do this because you've obviously tried to lump all the black voters out of your white districts so mm-hmm. that you can have more, um, majority white districts. Yeah. Point blank period.
0: And yeah, like the maps are, if you look at the maps, like the way they're drawn makes absolutely no sense. And every, you know, like gerrymandering happens everywhere in every state. It's been happening since the late 1700s when we first started having electoral districts, but it's, Especially egregious when you can tell like this is a majority black neighborhood and they've been completely drawn around with this voting map so that their vote gets basically watered down so they don't have as much electoral power as they should by their, you know, just sort of natural given rights and um, making sure that we have as few people of color in general, just voting as possible.
1: Right. And like, I think also the intentions behind gerrymandering is really important to the history of it. So at one point, um, gerrymandering was thought to be a tool that um, you would create majority black districts where there would not be one. And so Mm -hmm. where um, a certain area would never have a black representative, you could draw lines in a way that gave people the ability to elect a representative who either looked like them or who they felt represented them. So, um, it has been used in the past to to do that, and so that's kind of what leads to the confusion, or not so much confusion, but that's what leads to a lot of the gray area, um, in the sense that like it's illegal to to draw districts to gerrymander in a way that dis, um, that harms people, um, but it's actually not illegal to do it in a way that. Um, is in service of trying to get equal representation right um, in this case in North Carolina v. Covington it was obviously done in a way that was um, with malice intent um, and so what the General Assembly did immediately after is like oh it's illegal to do it racially all right cool we're not gonna do it <laughs> racially we'll, we're gonna do it um, via partisan lines and so they redraw the maps in a way that is partisan based. Um, as a way to get around the Supreme Court ruling.
0: It was almost identical. Like, the maps don't look that different at all. Um, Because the way it falls in North Carolina, like, and the way it falls in just America in general, like, Black people vote overwhelmingly Democratic. And now that they had the express, um, they're expressly forbidden from drawing it racially, but they were not expressly forbidden from drawing it in a partisan way. And so they could say, oh no, this isn't about race at all. This is just about, you know, preserving Republican power. And that's completely okay. Um, The question about whether it was completely okay was another legal question that ended up getting appealed all the way to the Supreme court in um, the case was called Rucho V common cause. And it was just ruled on the end of June. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically the Supreme court ruled that federal courts don't have any power to rule on cases of partisan gerrymandering Um, in the, um, decision, Chief Justice Roberts wrote, we conclude that partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts. Um. I think, you know, I just, I want to also read the dissent, or at least part of the dissent from Elena Kagan, who said, in the face of grievous harm to democratic governance and flagrant infringement on individuals' rights, in the face of escalating partisan manipulation whose compatibility with this nation's values and laws no one defends, the majority declines to provide any remedy. For the first time in this nation's history, the majority declares that it can do nothing about an acknowledged constitutional violation Mm. because it has searched high and low and cannot find a workable legal standard to apply. And so basically the Supreme Court ruling says that we have to use elections to make political decisions, but their decision just made elections even more rigged in, like, in favor of the people who are already in power. So we don't actually have the electoral power that they say they're trying to defer to um, in this decision that takes away our electoral power. So it's just like a vicious circle of um, democratic collapse.
1: Into, like, you... I think you were going to talk about this, but like it's even compounded considering like the court, the environment of the current court that we have and like how all that came to be.
0: Yeah. So this was a 5-4 decision, uh, meaning five Supreme Court justices voted in favor of the decision, four dissented. And it's important to note that just because one of those five votes was from a justice who is sitting in what I would call a stolen Supreme Court seat. Um,
1: I think, uh, like objectively a stolen Supreme Court seat. Yes. It was unprecedented in how that Supreme Court seat came to be.
0: Exactly. Um, So in 2016, Senator Mitch McConnell basically defied the Constitution and refused to allow a nomination hearing for Barack Obama's nominee, Merrick Garland, um, because it was a presidential election year. And he said, the American people should have a say in the court's direction. It's the president's constitutional right to nominate a Supreme Court justice, and it's the Senate's constitutional right to act as a check on the president and withhold its consent.
1: And that's... Sorry, I'm No, please. Like there are the audacity. <laughs> and they and because he's the president. Right. He is the president of the United States. Right. He was elected by the people. By the people in order to appoint justices among other things. The
0: most overwhelming, like I think the most overwhelming uh popular vote in recent American and history. And so for
1: Mitch McConnell to to masquerade this as like in service of Of democracy Mm -hmm. is is ridiculous, yeah. And then and then to continue to play the moral high ground, yes. Um, And I guess the disappointing part is that people bought into it to a certain degree.
0: I mean, I don't think that people actually.
1: I don't think that it was along partisan lines, but like people were like, yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's like, no, that's not (laughs) how the rules work. And by the rules, I mean like the Constitution,
0: right? That you are supposed to uphold. Um, so that was his, that was his decision as Senate majority leader. He basically had the final say on the Senate calendar. And so it never, this Merrick Garland never got to actually have a confirmation hearing. He never got right. to really apply for the job that he was nominated for. Then Trump And then in 2017, Trump nominated Neil Gorsuch to fill the seat that should have been Merrick Garland's. And then in 2018, Justice Kennedy resigned, which was a little bit unpredictable. And there's a lot of controversy about, like, why he resigned and the nature of resignation. Um, But he was replaced with accused sexual assaulter and just entitled brat Brett Kavanaugh. And so here we are with decisions that were made by people who don't necessarily belong in the Supreme Court, right. just like constitutionally speaking.
1: Right. Not even about like the not even a judgment call. Like right. they're not supposed to be there. Right. They're literally not supposed to be there.
0: Um. So, yeah, all of this to say the Republican Senate defied the Constitution. Like I said, they stole the Supreme Court from Obama. And now the Supreme Court, as confirmed by the president who did not win the popular vote, um, just rule to permanently disenfranchise non-white voters, which will make it harder for us to vote Trump out of office, which will mean the Supreme Court will stay trash and we are all going to die in a blaze of hellfire, unless we're already dead and we're already in the bad place. So, you know, mm-hmm. that could be a good outcome. <laughs> and a little fun fact, like just speaking to um Mitch McConnell and his masquerade. Um When he was asked what the Senate would do if a seat became vacant in 2020, which is also a presidential election year, he just smiled and said, oh, we'd fill it. So he has no actual problem with filling Supreme Court seats during an election year. He has a problem with filling Supreme Court seats when somebody that he does not approve of or he does not support politically is in power. So now that he's got he's consolidated his power in the White House, he's perfectly comfortable having that person pick all the Supreme Court um, justices going forward. Right. Which means we could be in for a really, really, really rough like full generation. I mean, every time Ruth Bader Ginsburg takes a deep breath, I swear, I was like <laughs> the whole world stops. <laughs> and that's basically the person that we're talking about when we say in twenty twenty, yeah. because she is old and, and we're to be just quite worried honest, about I think her. She's
1: ready to like.
0: She's been ready. She's got the entire like Supreme Court on her back right now. Yeah. She is the she is our firewall, and if she leaves. That's it. Like, we're going to stop seeing five, four decisions. We're not going to have really any swing votes anymore. It's going to be a six, three kind of a thing. And we are going to get our rights as eroded as possible during that time period.
1: So, um, you know, I think coming kind of back to exclusively, specifically like voting rights um, and gerrymandering, just to kind of close the loop. So. The Supreme Court case in Rucho said, um, you know, yeah, Rucho. Ha- in, yeah, yeah. said that states have to decide. Um, so Common Cause um, had also filed a state suit um, about the same maps.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so right now, this week, we're recording on um, Wednesday the 17th. Sure. Um, so early this week, Monday, is when um, the trial began. I think it was Monday. The trial began on this um, court date and then the, on this case. Which is Common Cause v. Lewis. So essentially, it's very similar. Um, after the state seats were struck down as unconstitutional, um, they redrew it, um, and so this again, of course, is saying that these partisan, these quote unquote partisan um, lines are just as illegal mm-hmm. as the as the racial lines. And so um, there's a kind of a long history about, um, especially going back to North Carolina v. Covington, about. Um, there's been the state has been ordered to redraw the lines multiple times over and over and over again um through a process of appeals, through a process of stays that have been granted. Mm-hmm. Um, they have not had to do that. So what it actually means is that the um, two thousand and 16 election mm-hmm. in North Carolina were made under technically illegal voting districts.
0: Yes. Um, so our current state legislature is also <laughs> constitutionally in question. <laughs> right.
1: right. Um, so there's a whole bunch of issues there. The point being that like a new election is coming up um, and we're functioning under, you know, lines that have been declared to be discriminatory. Right. Um, and so there's a question about whether or not we'll actually get decent, good lines. Right. Um, there was a really good article out today that said, um, the Supreme Court case are the case the court cases, all the cases could be settled right now if the general Assembly decided to redraw the lines in a way that was you know neutral
0: actually equitable. yeah, yeah. but they don't want to do that because and the thing is the people who are fighting for equitable equitably drawn lines, like I I'm feeling very cynical today. I don't feel that they're actually doing this because it's the right thing to do and because people deserve a vote. Those people know that if these lines aren't drawn differently, I'm still going to have no power in my legislative seat or like I'm going to be very restricted. I'm going to be fighting against the majority um, in the state legislature for the rest of my career. And they don't want that.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I I think like I think there's multiple constituencies, some in like Democrats are fighting for. Lines that are drawn in their favor, for sure. Yes. Um, but there are like other constituencies that are legitimately like, not. Nah, can we just have democracy? Right. Um,
0: <laughs> can we yeah. just have a democracy, please? <laughs> and I mean, and the you
1: know the interesting thing is that like, and everybody knows this. Every the GOP knows this. The Democrats know this. Um, and the interest groups know this. That if we vote just a straight, I mean, it's very evident from the popular vote from the 2016 election, right? Mm-hmm. So like, America is a majority progressive nation. We're getting browner. We're getting younger. Um, so it's, it's the way that the vote lies when people have equal representation is more progressive than what we're actually seeing.
0: Well, I, I guess I would push back and say like the way public opinion lies is more progressive, but the way, like the way people vote just because of who votes for the most part is actually not as progressive. Right.
1: And and what I'm saying though, is that like, if voting were, um, proportional mm -hmm. to like, And I guess there's something there about like who like so if you're under 18 or but like I think what I'm saying is that if it were if the barriers to voting were minimum Mm -hmm. and if the largest voting blocks were not people who are not the largest actual representative population Mm -hmm. in the U.S., then what policy will look like would be different.
0: Right. Especially since like it's not because of and the general thing is the general idea as to why it's mostly old, rich white people who vote is because young people don't care or people of color just don't care as much. And the truth is that partly because of gerrymandering, partly because of voting rights and partly just because of how the system works to disenfranchise specific communities, we don't have the same access to voting as everyone else. And so the people who vote are the people who can vote, the people who can take time off work, the people who haven't been disenfranchised because of being justice involved, uh, the people who can vote because their you know polling station hasn't been shut down due to just like budget cuts or ridiculous things that their state legislature, looking at you, North Carolina, has done to say like, actually you can't have this much early voting and actually you can no longer vote on Sundays and you can only vote on one Saturday in a blue moon and all of this stuff, like people who have easy access to voting are the ones who are voting. And it is extremely frustrating to see, to keep seeing policies being enacted to make sure that that stays, that that stays true.
1: Right. Um, I mean, also like states where people are, I mean, states where the electoral college plays a huge role into that as well. Mm-hmm. And it's so like not everybody's vote. And this is for the presidential election, but like not everybody's vote count, it counts the same.
0: Right.
1: Right. So like if you're living in Montana, your vote is worth significantly more than if you're living in, you know, some other state, Florida or or, or any, a number of any other states. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that also plays a role not into like people's access to the ballot, but it does significantly play a role into um, where that public opinion aligns with um, kind of the influence of your vote, right. at least on a presidential
0: stage. So basically the maps are trash, the laws are trash and <laughs> the maps are the thing that are preventing us from changing the laws that are trash. And
1: so... It's a cyclical thing of trash. It's like a cyclone. It's, it's a trash It's just a trash cyclone. Of our... Elect- that our, should our be elect- a sci-fi
0: movie. <laughs> Instead of Sharknado, a trash cyclone.
1: It's just like election booths and like hanging chads and <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Oh, hanging
0: chads. Not hanging chads. Yeah. <sighs> so it's great.
1: Yeah. I would... I mean, we didn't think about... Hanging chads, at least for me, like that was a really significant introduction to me into the electoral process. Yes. That was 2000, mm-hmm. right? I was entering sixth grade. Um, Or was I leaving? Inter- I was in the fifth or sixth
0: grade. <laughs> you were a little tiny, small I was, at baby. A, I
1: was at a key transitional phase in my life. I was
0: in eighth grade. I know that for a fact.
1: How old are you?
0: Uh, 47. Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs>
1: No, so, uh, but, but I remember, I remember when the election went to the Supreme Court, I was like, this is not how I learned that this is supposed to work <laughs> at all. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, 10 year olds like, what do you mean hanging chads? Right. What y'all does that mean? Y'all couldn't get this stuff that like, it seems pretty. Let me just election, say what a
0: hanging chad is, because not everybody right.
1: so is as old as we are. So <laughs> in, so in Florida, mm-hmm. the, the Bush v. Um, Gore. Gore. <laughs> Be for guns <laughs> <laughs> there was there was controversy over the ele- there was inconsistencies um and in inconclusive results coming out of florida florida is significant because i think they have 20 um electoral don't votes, ask me. electoral college votes and don't fact check us please it might be it's i'm fact checking myself okay they have a significant amount of electoral college votes it's also a purple state yes um so it go it swings blue and red depending on you know whatever so it was a tight race the entire election really came down to Florida's electoral college votes mm-hmm. um, and the results were contested because there was like a mechanical issue with the voting mechanism, which was a punch card. Yes. And so literally there was an issue with the punch piece not being all the way punched out of the card.
0: Right. Hence
1: the name. Those are called hanging, hanging chads. chads.
0: Um, any sort of punch card that wasn't properly punched. Right. <laughs> um,
1: it's, yeah. So it went to the Supreme Court and the court had to had to rule Bush the, the winner the They election. didn't
0: have to. They decided they to. They did. Right, so. Anyway. Supreme Court's just been messing up. Yeah. But well, yeah, That I do remember that being, like, I was very passionate. This is a huge surprise to everyone, I'm sure, but I was very passionate about... Um, elections at that point in my life and I had been like not campaigning for because I wasn't old enough to campaign but I had been really pro Gore, and I had been really excited about Gore and I thought like it made perfect sense that he was going to win because Bush was so underqualified seemed so dumb and like it wasn't going it just wasn't going to happen and then I mean for so, like for it was such a long time that we didn't know who our president was going to be like I don't and this is not what I had been used to. I was like, but I'm supposed to just turn on the TV, see who it's going to be. And then that's it. And we just sort of, we go from there. But it was, it was weeks. Yeah. And it felt like such a grave miscarriage of justice at the time. And since then, I mean, you can't say that you, there's no meaningful counterfactual. We don't know how different things would have been if Gore had been president, but it, they were so different substantively. I do believe that like, global politics would be different and uh, the way we talk about the environment would be different. There's so many things that would be different. I mean, on a
1: very practical level, like Katrina would have been different. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, At least the response, like the way that we, yeah.
0: And the way that we got, like the way that we got involved in two wars would have been different. Like the way, like you can't say whether 9-11 would have happened, but the way that we responded to 9-11 and the way it was used as a pretext to just start... Oh like weapons of mass destruction would not have been like it, that would have been a completely different You know what? We are a little bit on a tangent. Right. <laughs> Let us go off on rants that are related to is my childhood.
1: <laughs> Stop talking about your childhood, you infant baby. My childhood's how many votes does weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> how many so, votes So is... today today, um Florida has twenty-nine electoral college votes. Mm -hmm. Um, That's up from twenty-seven in two thousand eight. I'm not sure how many they had in two thousand.
0: I mean, that's so long ago. Who even remember? Who was alive back then?
1: Somewhere around. It's
0: almost twenty years ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. a little bit or um, zooming back so I kind of want to talk back in time
0: way back <laughs> <laughs> ba, ba, ba. On.
1: yeah that so <laughs> I wanted to kind of talk about how we got here and the evolution of voting rights mm-hmm. um, and voter protections um, throughout the course of American history
0: okay so you're going to start at the very beginning
1: mm, well sure so at the beginning white man could vote okay <laughs> 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 White men with property. See, that's,
0: a, that's in Genesis, right? That's... It is.
1: <laughs> White men with property could vote. Um,
0: uh-huh.
1: Fast forward a um, couple of centuries. So I, I did want to start with the fifteenth and the fourteenth, fifteenth and the nineteenth amendment. Excuse me. I'm not going to go into detail. Those expanded the franchise, enfranchisement to black people and to women. Um, of course, like we know that there are protections that have to go in place to make those things happen. But right. I can't like not mention them. So. Those amendments happen. Those are good things. Um, The first kind of so the first legislative act that recognizes that these constitutional amendments are this constitutional amendment at the time um, is not enough was the Enforcement Act of 1871. So it was a part of Reconstruction era legislation and really what it provided for was voter supervisors. So people who stood federal people who stood there at the polls and made sure that people weren't being intimidated um, from voting.
0: You know I've done that? Really? Yeah.
1: So you're carrying on a, a tradition from like Reconstruction era?
0: Apparently. Well,
1: back then it didn't work. <laughs> so <laughs> so as we <laughs> as we know, Reconstruction was reversed uh-huh. um, and the South turned into a deep, deep, dark. So like, well, okay, this is important, right? So like immediately after the Civil War, after the 15th Amendment was passed, after the Enforcement Act was passed, there was a huge, huge number of... Of black representatives elected across the South, mm-hmm.
0: um, almost like there's a high, like there's a really large almost black as if population. Black people
1: like were wanted to vote and yeah. wanted to participate in society, just, and were using their newly, you know, infran- their new enfranchisement to do so. Boggles the mind. And so um, there was a white lash, which we've talked about before on the show: um, black codes, um, voter suppression, all these different things. Um, kind of historically, what we think about when we think about like, you know voter suppression Mm -hmm. the kkk kind of formulated in this era um partially to restrict voting access um and And voter
0: suppression taking like not even just a legislative but a very physical um mm -hmm. very like life or death
1: yeah i mean and because this is also during the time of there's a lot a lot of black folk are um are tenant farmers so they're Mm -hmm. living on the land that they're working on Mm -hmm. and so um you know white owners um, landowners are, you know, they're saying if you vote, then you will lose your you'll be kicked off the land. Um, so it's a lot of the economic threats, um, physical threats, um, all these different things. And so um, what happened and it's, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, it's amazing how effective those strategies were at suppressing people's votes. Um, but you saw this huge rise in black elected officials in the 1870s mm-hmm. um, and did not see the same level of black elected officials until the 1960s. So it was an entire century yeah. um, where just voter suppression was just vamping. Um So... Moving up a century. <laughs> Look at you speeding through history. <laughs> 19, 1957, we had the Civil Rights Act, um, first Civil Rights Act, and we see injunctive relief, which is important. It means that the courts now have the um, have the ability to say, stop what you're doing. Um, <laughs> this is illegal.
0: Oh, I don't know. According to the Supreme Court, that's not within the court's rights. Well,
1: yeah, well we'll, well, we'll get there. Um, we then have the Voting Rights Act of 1960, which has voting referees. Um, and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which caps educational requirements at um, six years of education, um, so there were educational requirements on who could vote.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, so those are can kind say, of.
0: Can you say quickly what voting referees were? Uh,
1: very. So they were similar to voter supervisors, but they um, essentially looked at voting practices that were being implemented by counties mm-hmm. and saying, like, this is. Legal, this is not illegal. Gotcha. Um, there wasn't a lot of enforcement power though. Right. And that's kind of what we get into with the voting rights acts, the, the the new series of voting rights acts. So the first one, and kind of what's the most memorable one, is the voting rights act of 1965. One of my favorite pieces of legislation. <laughs> and, and um so Voting Rights Act of 65 kind of came in that swath of um, civil rights era reform um, mm-hmm. legislation. And it was important because it was an unprecedented extension of federalism. So federalism um, for everybody who didn't major in poli <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that's only like six of y'all, right? Like everybody so, else.
1: <laughs> I don't want to talk down to the audience, but I also don't want to pretend like, I don't know. So quick federalism yes. real quick. Is just the balance of power between the federal government and the states. Mm-hmm. So you might have heard of this thing about states' rights. Yep. Back in the day. Yep.
0: Um, uh, feder- not even that back <laughs> in the day, really.
1: <laughs> right. I mean, like last week. <laughs> um, federalism is federalism. Essentially, is that balance and how much power the federal government has, and essentially, it speaks to the shifting of power from mm-hmm. states to the federal government, which typically has been a good thing for um, for civil rights. So, this Voting Rights Act is a huge extension of federalism. Um, One could argue that it's on equal footing in terms of the power it gives the federal government um, as 1870s reconstruction policies in the Mm -hmm. South. Um, There's a lot that happens with the Voting Rights Act of 65. The two big things are the two or three big things um, that I'll highlight, though, are it sets national federal registration qualification requirements. Mm -hmm. So it's saying that, like, no, you, Selma, Alabama, or no, you um charlotte north carolina you're not allowed to set your own standards however you want them on who's allowed to vote mm-hmm. so you can't do poll taxes you mm-hmm. can't do this that and the third um there's a federally set definition of what it what is required to to register to vote period um, And anything outside of that is unconst- is illegal mm-hmm. it's in it's in violation of the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment um, again, not a constitutional lawyer, so if you are one, please feel free to send your comments. I
0: don't like to be <laughs> <actions. laughs>
1: um, The other big one, and this is probably the most exciting part of this bill, um, of this piece of legislation, is Section Five, which is pre-clearance, which I know y'all have heard about. No,
0: that is the most. I mean, boom, bam, bam. <laughs> air <laughs> horns, pew, pre-clearance.
1: <laughs> so. <laughs> what preclearance does Pre-clearance is dope because it says we know that y'all have been playing games mm-hmm. and we're not having any more of these games <laughs> and in, and if you fall under pre pre-clearance, um which section 4b actually defines it's a it's a it's a formula that defines who falls under pre-clearance. pretty much it was like if you have done discriminatory um voting practices in the past mm-hmm. if you have a history of being discriminatory you fall under section five Section five says, "Okay, you want to make a change to your voting laws, you got to send it to the Department of Justice. And Mm -hmm. the Department of Justice has to okay it. Right. Because you can't be trusted. Um, And so effectively, um, and it's we can link to a map. We will link to a map of the of the states that fall under preclearance. Effectively, it was like the South.
0: Right. The South fell (laughs) under
1: preclearance. So. The Voting Rights Act has to be reauthorized. As does much legislation. Um, there's a whole bunch of re, uh, authorizations. There's one in the 70s. Um, there's like two in the 70s. Um, they do some cool things where they um, require that voting materials um, reflect the um, language of particular populations. Mm-hmm. So if there's a uh, if there's a voting precinct or a county that has excuse me, a really high Spanish speaking population, then they have to provide material. So those are like really important things. Um, But my one of my other favorite pieces of legislation is the Voting Rights Act of the reauthorization bill of 1982. So essentially the question is like, what's been happening between 65 and 82 Um, is that there have been, the the South has been trying to readjust, right? So like they get, they have preclearance, they have all these rules. They try to find ways to go around these rules. The, under the 65 Act, um, there's a lot more um, litigation power. Mm -hmm. The Department of Justice is bolstered up in their ability to actually like go out and prosecute counties who are violating the Voting Rights Act. And so there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, um, court, cases that essentially are setting the precedent about what is and what is not okay in terms of practices when it comes to voting rights. So the 82 authorization um, is really a reflection of those court cases um, of all the work that really went into to doing that. So what people, the way people like to characterize it is that the 65 Act made sure that everybody could vote mm-hmm. and the 82 Act made sure that everybody's vote actually ca- uh, counted the same that everybody's vote was of the same value. Um, so states so tried to do crazy stuff. They tried to, they got really smart. They tried to, um, it reminds me of um, of us. Oh, we trying to get crazy? So, <laughs> we can get crazy. We can get crazy. <laughs> um, so... Uh, States tried re-apport- reapportionment. They tried majority vote requirements. They tried slating candidates. They tried switching to at-large seats. Uh, they tried, of course, racial ger- gerrymandering. These are all legislative things um, in order to attempt to, you know, keep black people out of elected office and right. to keep black votes from counting. One of the, one, kind of one of the big examples um, is Mobile v. Holden, which is in 1980. So Mobile, Alabama, Um, They had been doing um, at-large voting for their county commissioners for over 100 years. And in that same time period, no Black elected official had been elected. And so um, the guy made the case, well, this is— Bolden. Bolden Mm -hmm. made the case, this is discriminatory um, because under this voting scheme, Black people cannot win. And so the courts decide—and it's not the Supreme Court, it may be the Supreme Court— don't fact check me. Mm-hmm. The courts decide, it's a federal court. It may be either the Fifth Circuit or the Supreme Court. But anyway, the courts decide that that's a federal, anyway. The courts decide, um, because the intent was not racist, the policy is not in violation. Um, and so the policy can stand. So it's called the intent test. And so now under this 1980 ruling, um, you know, any cases had to prove that the intent was to racially discriminate against voters. Gotcha. So there's another case, um, or there's an amendment that's run in the 82 um voting rights act, and this is why this bill is so important, and it's called the results test. And it essentially reverses that and it's a challenge. It says, quote, no voting qualification or prerequisite to voting our standard practice or procedures shall impose or applied by any shall be imposed or applied by any state, um blah blah blah, which results in, in a manner which results in the not denial or abridgment of any right of the citizen of the United States to vote. So essentially what it's saying is that it doesn't matter what your intents were, mm-hmm. um, if the results are that it's discriminatory, then it's discriminatory. Um, and so that makes mm-hmm. a huge difference. So
0: the whole like intent versus impact thing. Right. Turns out people actually <laughs> knew about that back right. then.
1: <laughs> um, so the results of these, these bills are huge. Um, Just two years after the 65 bill, the percentage of black registered voters in Mississippi rose from 6.7% to 60%. Um, In 1965, there were only three black state legislators. By 1970, there were 32. In the South. In the South. Um, And so that's why I'm talking about from the end of Reconstruction 100 years later, then we get back up to a significant number. Um, And although black representatives counted for less than 2% of the total state representatives, um, the number had only increased, had only increased by more than 10 times. um, Excuse me. Start that over. The number had increased by more than 10 times in in only five years following the bill. So essentially just the number of state elected black black elected officials skyrocketed. Um, And so these are all major things.
0: So I guess... (laughs) I mean, just according to how things turned out in 2013, not to skip ahead too far, but based on how the Supreme Court ruled in 2013, because of all that, because they had already made great strides and they had already solved racism from a legislative and a voting perspective, um, they didn't need those restrictions. They didn't need those guidelines. They didn't need any of that anymore. Right? Um, because 2013 is Shelby v. Holder, which is a landmark voting rights case in the Supreme Court that basically said, um, we don't need pre clearance anymore. We don't need to, um, we don't need to ratify this part of these laws anymore because we've solved it. Like we've solved racial gerrymandering, we've solved voter suppression. And that means that we no longer need laws that are making those things illegal. Because right. people have figured it out and people know not to do the wrong thing anymore, Right. and that's why we've also out like we we don't have any murder laws anymore because people <laughs> know we just we get it.
1: <laughs> and it's like and it's no coincidence that it comes from Shelby County, Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. So it comes from the same place where a lot of the that was that was under pre clearance. Um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg made your exact point, and she says um, she says that. It's trashing pre-clearance was quote like throwing away your umbrella umbrella in a rainstorm because you're not getting wet.
0: It's just like <laughs> well, this, this works. This is working. So,
1: <laughs> this is working so well. We don't need it anymore.
0: Um, but and, it's like, and I mean, to the point, like the whole the reason that this was working was because of the laws, and right. that mean like so you keep the laws because they're effective. It's not right. like like, and I think I
1: mean for me, and you know I'm a wonk and everything like that. But I think you? this is this is such. An amazing kind of historical example of how federalism and legislation and the courts can come together to create to ad, like actually work in mm-hmm. advance um, a, to advance like democracy. like we decided, you know what, democracy is good. We should we and should make everybody sure should worked. have it in like, <laughs> and, and, and our system actually worked in this case. And it wasn't perfect. Right. Like it was not equal representation, but the strides that were made and like in just from 60, um, from from 1960s up to 2000 mm-hmm. um, was significant. Um, and that was the problem. And then we trashed it so fast. I mean, it's been six years from since Shelby V. Holder and we've gone backwards so fast.
0: It's yeah. You're and the thing to like
1: fall than you are to climb like it's.
0: And that was the thing, like there were so many state legislatures who were waiting on the Shelby V. Holder decision, who had legislation at the ready to immediately strip people of their voting rights and to immediately go back to suppressing the vote. I mean, they had North Carolina passed their voter
1: ID swath bill that before, even before. So they they passed it before Shelby V. Holder was even decided. Mm -hmm. It didn't go into effect until after. Shelby V. Holder was like, literally, waiting said, the they're waiting.
0: Pen, they're pending the Constitution. Like <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. It <sighs> was wild. Excuse me.
0: It was wild. And that was, I mean, that was when we started seeing photo ID laws just crop up in alabama and mississippi and north carolina that they said oh well now um now that we no longer have any restrictions that we don't have to prove that we don't have racist intent we can just go ahead and do things that have obviously racist intent yeah. like saying that you need to have a photo id in order to vote that you need to like
1: or like you know restricting early voting restricting early voting on sundays um they even one one of the weirdest things to me i registered to vote when i was 17 in high school um, because it was a elect- it was an election year, right? And to me, I was like, "That's the coolest thing! You can register to vote even before like that." To right. me, is so like, you're just ready. They want you to vote. <laughs> they got rid of the ability of seventeen year olds to to pre-register. pre register. Who does that?
0: It's people who know that if if everyone has the right to vote, we won't be in power anymore. Yeah. And especially if young black and brown people have the right to yeah. vote.
1: I mean, I think another like very practically speaking, I mean, because someone can make they can make the argument, well, these things still have to go to court. They're still, you know, the difference, though, was that these cases are going to court. They're taking. So these policies are going into effect. Mm -hmm. They're going to court. They're taking two or three years before they're deemed illegal. One of the key components of preclearance was that people were not impacted by these illegal laws mm-hmm. right like we didn't need for the laws to be illegal to tell them to tell us that they were illegal right and so it has a very real implication on people and that's going back to what we were saying earlier about the fact that we've had elections in north carolina under illegal maps and that would not have happened under pre-clearance presumably right like so in texas for example um they passed a texas a voter id law that was focused on establishing citizenship and so um nearly who were citizens, many of whom were naturalized citizens, um, were temporarily were either purged from the voter rolls or temporarily prevented from voting. Mm-hmm. Um, the law eventually was deemed illegal by the courts, but like in that period of time, all those people were prevented from prevented from participating in voting. Right. Um, or like the voting purchasing was a huge thing from from um, 2016. Right. So like you know if for whatever reason if they deem that you know you haven't been responsive your mail isn't being forwarded your signatures like, don't
0: match that was a big Brian one that your signature on um your id doesn't match right. your signature on like one other document right. which if my signature from like the first receipt that i signed for the merchant matches the receipt that i signed for myself like that is a miracle <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, or like god forbid you have like a suffix or like a middle initial mm-hmm. or, or like you an get married accent. and you change your name right yeah. right um so if any you know all these all these, like very arbitrary reasons to purge voters, to remove voters from the polls. There's
0: also the fact that you don't even need to purge voters. If you put enough disinformation out into the system yeah. and say you need to have the following things in order to vote, people aren't going to go out. If they say, oh, well, I heard that they passed a photo ID law. I don't have a photo ID and I don't have time to get one, so I guess I'm not voting. Even though you didn't actually have to physically have one because the, vote, the law had not gone into effect, that is suppressing the vote. Right. That is that has a chilling effect on people's ability or perception of their ability to vote. Yeah. And that's just as good as if you just kick them off the list. And like,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: <sighs> no, I
1: mean, no, cause it's no, cause it's like, this is democracy, right? Like, sure. and it's, <laughs> there's no like, yeah, there, I, I'm out of words. It's just, it's, it's, um, it's, it's cheating, but like in such a way that, you it's cannot. You can't. Name. You can't do this stuff and then claim to be like they. They claim to be the party of like moral authority, right? Like you cannot do that.
0: I don't think they do anymore. Well, not true. I don't think that claim is even remotely. <laughs> Lindsey Graham somehow is up here talking. <laughs> oh my god! But
1: like you know, it's it's, yeah.
0: i And the thing, like you know, like voting is really important to me. As you know, like I have been a poll volunteer, like. I think last year was the first time I hadn't been a poll volunteer since like 2012, uh, just because I was tired, honestly. Um, But it is extremely important to me. And then people will say, I don't I don't see the point in registering to vote when the whole thing is rigged. And I'm like, I mean, you're not wrong. The whole thing is rigged. And it's on some days it is really hard for me to say but you need to try like because they're trying to take it away from you is the reason that you need to do it because it is so important Yeah. and they know how important it is and so you need to like you need to use it there's some days that i'm like i mean damn you're right like it is rigged and if you're already registered to vote then like that's great and you already have access that's great but getting you to register can be a significant challenge and i understand if it doesn't seem worth it because at the end of the day like the people who are already in power are going to change the system so that they can stay in power. Yeah.
1: I can't even, I mean, I think, I hope that we're going to continue. There are a lot of examples from this last election of just like terrible affronts to democracy.
0: I would like to talk about one in particular, please. If you don't mind, I would like to talk about Florida in particular, Florida. There was a ballot initiative in the 2018 election to re enfranchise formerly incarcerated people. Can you talk
1: about, can you? Yes, I
0: can. I I absolutely can. So people who were incarcerated basically on felony charges, um, the ballot initiative said these people will get their right to vote back. Like you can, like they will be able to vote again after a specific period of time. Um, And it passed overwhelmingly. Which was fantastic because of a lot of um, activists, advocates, um, people who were just like getting the word out and just, you know, the idea that this is the right thing. Like people do deserve to have the right to vote. And if they have paid their debt to society, I'm putting air quotes around photo. that. Um, they have been in, just because they have been involved in the criminal justice system does not mean that they have lost all of their rights as members of the United States. And even. Sorry. Go ahead. Which is great. Like It was fantastic that they passed that uh, ballot initiative. Seven months later, like the day that it passed, Republicans in the legislature were like, that's not going to stick. And so seven months later, the Republican legislature passed a bill that requires formerly incarcerated on felony charges to pay all fines, fees and restitution associated with their sentences before they can regain their voting rights. Which means they need to pay. I mean... Some outstanding like court fees, um, just sort of like jail fines, all restitution, like that adds up to a lot of money for most people, especially if they were convicted on felony charges. Mm -hmm. And so basically what they're saying is until you have until you can afford to buy a vote, you don't have the right to vote. And... It's criminalizing poverty and it is making sure that the largely black and brown population who does get incarcerated on felony charges don't have the rights that they deserve. But people who get incarcerated on felony charges for things, you know, like white collar crimes can probably pay their fines, fees and restoration um, easily. Sorry, restitution easily. And they can just go back to having the rights that they had suspended.
1: Right. I mean, and and like... And the sentencing project does a really good job of writing about this and they have like awesome, cool maps and all type of stuff. But like the policy beyond being just not making sense to disenfranchise voters for, you know, for interaction with the criminal justice system, um, going back to the results test, like who it impacts Mm -hmm. is just like grossly, disproportionately black black and brown people um, and lower income people.
0: And it's not even just that they are re disenfranchising these people who just got their enfranchisement. It is also invalidating the will of the people who voted for this ballot initiative in the first place. The people who decided, no, they should have the right to vote. The legislature said, "Mm, you made a mistake and we're going to fix it. for you." It's
1: even more egregious knowing how big of a, and, and it's all political, right? Like Florida, we mentioned it, is a huge battleground state. Mm-hmm. Florida went red in 2016 by a margin much smaller than the number than the, the number of people that would be enfranchised by this bill, right? So, like, there is a direct implication. Like, if you give more people the right to vote in Florida, mm-hmm. Florida will most likely vote for a Democrat. Yep. And not saying that all people who are gaining their right to vote back will vote Democrat, <laughs> but like, there's some. It's a pretty there,
0: simple, yeah. Right? It's a pretty simple numbers game. And like- so they
1: knew the the state legislators knew that, and they're like, Ooh, we. Need to Not disenfranchise these people so, mm-hmm. that seats, so that we can maintain our seats, that we can maintain our power. Yeah. Um, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna talk about Georgia and that <laughs> travesty,
0: and the fact that an election was actually stolen, yes. like actually stolen. That the man—it's
1: like a freaking Disney movie. <laughs> the the villain, like Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp. I'm
0: so much trouble breathing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Brian Kemp is a he's a He is a, um, he is a, he's just a, like, he's He's a bad man. Yeah. He's a bad guy. He's a classic bad, he did not, he did not care about the conflict of interest of him literally running the state's election cycle Mm -hmm. as he was running for state seat. Mm -hmm. He unabashedly just disenfranchised voters through purging, purging the voter rolls Mm -hmm. through um, there were. And there's record long voting lines um, because of a uh, lack of poll workers, because of the closing of poll sites. Mm-hmm. Um, closing. He way. closed 200, some more than 200 poll sites. And it was like maybe the month of the election.
0: Yes. And um, you could put you could basically put down like a demographic map on the state yeah. of Georgia and see like, oh, yep, that's a majority black area and their polling places closed. And that like it there was- were machines
1: that like apparently weren't charged. <laughs> Right? Like they could that's have even worse than
0: North Carolina being like it's superhuman, so the machines are working. <laughs> yeah,
1: and and Stacey Abrams bless her heart, bless her soul. Like she she handled it in a way that only Stacey Abrams could have handled it, I think. Um, because she was so um clear and rightfully indignant mm-hmm. in a way that was it, it, it was amazing how much I can't imagine what she was saying inside of her head right (laughs) like everything inside my head would have been verbally expressed on national television
0: and she was unapologetically like this was a miscarriage of justice this was unfair this was a stolen election and this is my cause and
1: she yeah and she was so clear and direct about it right and so um you know i think one one of her quotes from that election is very symbolic of everything that's happened since shelby Holder, and she says voter suppression is adapting to changes in society and so it's this idea of like Just because it looks different doesn't mean. just because we don't have, you know, um, guess how many jelly beans are in this jar in order to vote or (laughs) grandfather clause or all these things doesn't mean that voter suppression isn't still very real because it is.
0: Yes. Um,
1: And that election is a very clear result of that. So Stacey Abrams should be governor of Georgia.
0: Well, I think we should. I think that's actually a really good segue to talk about potential solutions, because I have dug myself into such a bleak, despairing hole. And I would really like to talk about how do we get out of here? Sure.
1: So speaking of Stacey Abrams, yes. um, she has started an organization to your point. Um, she started a cause. Um, and it's called Fair Fight. And so it's not Fight fair. fair, excuse me. Um, the alliteration confused me. Sure.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> it'll get you, it'll get you.
1: <laughs> so we'll link to the website, but you should go there, check it out, support it. Um, it's uh I don't know how to describe it. It's uh, an organization. Um I think they're doing a combination of research and advocacy and organizing all about um, essentially making fair elections. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what Stacey Abrams is going to be doing in the next four years, five years, 10 years, but hopefully be she'll be our president. Whatever,
0: whatever it is, I will support her. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm glad that she is not wasting her time and everybody else's time running for president. Oh, I'm like certain, gosh. just completely generic white boys that I could mention. Didn't somebody ask
1: her if she would be interested in running for vice president? And she said, you don't run for second place. <laughs> I love her. So
0: I love her so much. And no, you don't, Stacy. Life. You absolutely do not run for second place. place. <laughs> I'll take
1: away. Um, I think another solution um, is the, and this isn't not so the the For the People Act, which was HR one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first bill introduced in the House, the Democratic um, majority House. It included campaign finance reform, elections and uh, ethics and elections, Mm -hmm. um, which was a lot of things, but also like requiring the presidential candidates to release their tax forms. (laughs) Um, Automatic, get this, automatic voter registration, just like automatic military. um, What's it called? Enrollment. Enrollment or not enrollment, but draft. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That that man. part. <laughs> Thing I'm enrolled in. Um,
0: <laughs> what do you call it again? <laughs>
1: <laughs> making the election day a federal holiday, mm-hmm. um, ending voter pur- pur- uh, voter purging, ending partisan gerrymandering, um, election security investments. So like, like keeping, actual election security. keeping Russia out. Like not like yeah, not like the false election fraud, but mm-hmm. like the actual Russia. Also, anyway, I don't want to get too deep into it. Let's not. Um, so this bill, which Um, was largely seen as like a really kind of positive thing, Um, was blocked in the Senate. Um, And Mitch McConnell went on a whole thing about how um, Democrats just want to elect more Democrats and, um, and not even getting partisan about it. It's just like, I mean, his point was like, if more people vote, more Democrats will be elected. So we're not going to, we're not going to let that. Yeah. That's (laughs) not going to happen. So like, we should do that. We should at least, I mean, I think for me, one of the most exciting things is like automatic voter registration. That to me is just an it's such a if you've ever worked as a um, as a, an election or in poli, in an um, in election work, actually getting voters to register is a huge barrier. Yes. Um, it's not simple, actually. Um, there's a lot of confusion. People don't know if they're registered, um, what's required to be registered, if they're registered in the correct location, um, all these different things. Um I've driven around with with voter registration cards in my in my in my car in college like because it's just a you know people think they're registered and they're not yep. so like it's it's a very kind of uh common sense thing um and then the only other thing that I'll add in terms of solutions is um, there's another policy that's been introduced in Congress, the voting rights um, advancement act of 2019. But again, it can come under any name. The point is to redefine and reinstate section four of the original voting rights act. It's not section
0: five,
1: no section four, which so section four was the one that was struck down. Got it. Making section five invalid. Got it. Um, So section four is the, is the formula that defines who has to, um, who has to go under preclearance. So Perfect. I mean, my preference would be all these States plus the new ones who wanted to pass all these policies. Everybody should just be under the preclearance. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are my solutions.
0: Awesome. Do I think you- they're all good. I don't have any solutions. I'm still in the pit of despair, but <laughs> yours sound pretty good. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs> so um, what are you reading?
0: So I am reading, um, I, hmm. I think, it, I think that I've linked this article before, and I am just going to self-promote a second time. It is an article that I wrote uh, in 2014 after um, Shelby V. Holder um, called GOPers Are Bringing Back Post-Reconstruction-Era Voting Rights in North Carolina. It's in Talking Points Memo. So I'm not necessarily reading that, but I'm asking you all to read it. Um, I am also unrelatedly reading the book What Doesn't Kill You Make You Blacker by one of my big writing crushes, Damon Young Um, of Very Smart Brothers and highly recommend that. I'm going to be lending Brian my copy when I'm done. Um, You all can get your own copy. And then I also, just because we were talking about Voting Rights Act, I want to shout out the movie Selma directed by Ava DuVernay um, because they have a fantastic series of conversations about voting rights in that movie for obvious reasons. Um, It is set in Selma. It is about Martin Luther King Jr. Um, But they really humanize the issue in a way that I think is difficult to do when you're talking about the sixties. Um, it's easy to just sort of think, well, that's history. And that was back in the day. And those, you know, like you, it's harder to think of these people as actual people who had passions and who had beliefs and who were being if affected and impacted by the laws that were and were not being passed. Um, and I think that Selma does a fantastic job of humanizing it. And so if you haven't watched it, even if you have watched it, um, watch it again because Avery DuVernay, deserves that money frankly (laughs) what are you reading brian
1: um so a couple of things um related to this there's a good vox article um how shelby county v holder upended voting rights in america um willing to that but i would also suggest that you check out the sentencing project Mm -hmm. Um, just check out their website i would suggest that you check out the brennan center for justice Mm -hmm. um, because they do some awesome um just they do an awesome job writing about this and kind of contextualizing the supreme court cases um i'm also reading non-related um i'm reading the book thick by tressy mcmillan cottam um which is doctor doctor um which is um an excellent collection of essays they're really good um it's really good um i'll have more on that later
0: (laughs) (laughs) when you've read more yeah
1: um And then also I'm just reading articles and I, at first I wasn't reading articles, um, about Eric Gardner. Um, but I am reading articles now. Um, I'm not, I don't have anything in particular to link to, but I mean, I did want to lift that up. Um, so it was this week that, um, they decided that they're not going to press charges against the officer who's been on desk duty, getting paid, collecting pension for the past five years. Um, because, you know, so I think, you know, I, there are and I will tweet about it on social media, maybe and a few other things. But I think there are actually some really good um, some really good pieces that talk about what's happened over the past five years um, <clears throat> and the fact that where where fault lies for inaction. Um, and I think that it's important. So to understand um, Loretta Lynch's role. Mm-hmm. um in her inaction. Mm-hmm. Um and what does this mean for the the kind of the correlation between criminal justice, um, power, um, race, and even thinking about black people in positions of power and whether or not a broken system can can deliver justice um in any respect and in any situation. And so right now I'm feeling like no. Um and that's you know, that's where I'm at right now.
0: Yeah. Oh, one quick thing uh, before you wrap. I think the last episode we recorded was immediately before we found out about Indie Week's um, Best of the Triangle extravaganza um want to thank all of you for voting for us and for supporting us we did not win best local podcast but we did we were still finalists and we do have a really cool decal that says indie week best of the triangle 2019 um we do want to shout out criminal the nationally famous podcast that won <laughs> I
1: can't believe you said their name <laughs> be,
0: hashtag boycott criminal <laughs> you will
1: be unsurprised to to learn that uh that marion and i um it took this competition very seriously. I've
0: never taken a competition and seriously. In had my life. full
1: expectations of winning.
0: I don't understand. We this. fell short,
1: but we did shoot for the moon. I mean for the stars.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um we have a sticker to prove that we made it to the moon. <laughs> I'm I'm proud and appreciative of all the support. I really am appreciative of all the support that yes. um not just listeners, but listeners who are also friends really provided and and uplifting that. So the support meant a lot.
0: It really did. And you know, we're gonna try again next year and we're just going to keep on racking up stickers if we can. Going for a Webby. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. As noted philosopher Pipple said, reach for the stars. And if you don't grab them, at least you'll fall on top of the world. So. Nice. I feel like I'm on top of the world. <laughs> That's our show. Thanks for listening. Our music was produced by DJ Seven Keys. You can find more of him and his music at www.sevenkeysbeats.com and on Instagram at at Mr. Underscore Seven Keys. That's numeral seven on both. Right now he's doing a daily beats challenge, yeah. um, putting out a new, a fresh new beat every single day. They are all fire. Please enjoy. Um, you can follow us on all social media at at the podcast, that's A T T H E P O D C A S T. Our website is www.at the intersection.com, where you can find all of our episodes, and you can also go there to send us some financial support.
1: You can send us your comments, your questions, your suggestions, um, your positive feedback at, at the intersection of at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else. Podcasts are found. Interestingly enough, we were asked today if we were on SoundCloud, and me and Marion both looked at each other and we said, Hell nope. no. <laughs> so, can't find us there. But Not
0: anyway. in 2019, <laughs> you can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's it. That's, that's it. it. Take care, y'all. And take it easy.